Matthew chapter 2 this evening. Matthew chapter 2. I'm, uh, I mentioned this morning I'm going to be doing a series on Sunday this month on some of the characters in the Christmas story that uh, we can learn great lessons from. Uh, one of them we're going to look at next week is Herod. We're going to look at uh, Joseph and Mary as well. Uh, but uh, tonight we're going to look at the wise men. And uh, tradition, uh, you know, many people believe because there were three gifts, there were three men. Uh, we don't know. Some Jewish tradition says that, uh, or tradition of the day says there could have been up to 12. Uh, we don't know. We just don't know. Apollo 13 is probably one of the more famous moon missions because of its failure. And it failed, uh, panels blew off, an engine, uh, one of the uh, tanks blew out, and it created a fiasco. Uh, it had been, uh, people were so kind of immune now, or uh, going to the moon, we had been Apollo 10, flew around the moon, it orbited the moon, Apollo 11 landed on the moon, uh, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and, uh, you know, Michael Collins was the one solo in space. That would have been the harder job for me. I just, you know, you're absolutely alone. And for 20 minutes, you're on the backside of the moon with no communication with anyone. Anyone, anywhere. And you're alone in that capsule. And, you know, you know, again, you know, God bless them. And they did that. By Apollo 13, they, none of the networks even picked up the television and it blew out and such. And many of you know the story, you've either seen the movie or read the book or know enough about it, that they had to conserve energy because they had lost a lot of power as a result of that, and they had to find power to navigate and such. But while they were, they had decided the best thing for them uh, after the accident happened was that they were still going to go around the moon, use the gravitational to kind of slingshot them back to um, the to Earth, and they began to drift. and And if you know the story, they began to drift, and they began to wonder why they're drifting. Everything should be on target, but they realized they didn't have the hundreds of pounds of moon rocks that they had anticipated on the ship, and with some other gases leaking and such, they were getting off course. And NASA was smart enough to know that despite their computer technology, which was top of the line during the day, of course, you have actually more computer power in your pocket right now in your telephone than they had in the space capsule in 1972. But the reality is, top of the line, they knew that, you know what, this might not all work, and they actually had on board the Apollo missions a sextant. A sextant was used by navigational sailors in the day to be able to use the stars to find out where they are they would call it dead reckoning. They were able to figure out where they are. The problem the Apollo mission had was they weren't on a fixed planet to know that they could look at the stars. So they had to actually use the sun as the fixed point 
and be able to navigate. And the rest of the story is amazing. Of course, they came home, they lived, they were safe and, uh, you know, amazing. But it's fact, it's an early fact that they began to put sextons on the Apollo missions as early as Apollo 8. They began to think, you know what? The stars can guide us. Now, some people have taken that to an illogical extreme and they get into astrology. Right? That what sign are you born on? That's all witchcraft. It's all absolutely witchcraft. Right? Because you were born, you know, under this particular sign or whatever, you're going to have these personality traits. You know, never, you notice they're always like, you'll be patient, you'll be kind. It's never like you'll be a hot-headed, you know, impulsive, debt-ridden, uh, you know, because you're, you know, you're, uh, you know, uh, this sign. Right? It's always positive. But stars can guide us. And I'm not talking about astrology, but astronomy, which is very different, can be. Now, the Magi were witchcraft. This is not rabbits out of the hat and watch me pull the scarf out of my sleeve. Watch me pour the, you know, the salt into a, into my hand, into a fake thumb, and then have it later to, to throw at you. That's not what it's talking about. It's not, Trickery of eye. They actually believed in the demonic. But yet God used the stars to get their attention. I want to think about wise men still seek him. Matthew 2, we're just going to read the first two verses. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the east lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose. We have come to worship him. I want to think with you about these men. Now again, many believe there were three because of three gifts. I don't know If there were more or less, the Bible really doesn't tell us. Some translations call them not wise men, but magi. Magi was a term where we actually get the word magic. And it has to do with, like I said, false religion and actually demonic issues that they would play with in that They were located, the Bible tells us here, in the eastern land. Now, the east was very interesting to a lot of the modern world. We call it today still the Orient. That actually comes from the term of orienting your eyes and looking towards. That's where we get that word. They look towards the east in a lot of the lands because they were technologically advanced. Of course, they're not necessarily today, but this would have been somewhere in the lands of what is today modern-day Iraq, which would have been Babylon back in the day. It could have been modern-day Saudi Arabia. But it was in that region of the Middle East that these men were coming from. 
The prophecy in Psalm 72, verse 10, the western kings of Tarshish and other distant lands will bring him tribute. The eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him gifts. And a lot of people point to that and say that this is the prophecy that as Jesus is coming, Sheba is modern-day Saudi Arabia, which would include Yemen, which would include the United Arab Emirate and that region of the world today. This journey would not have been easy. It would have been hundreds and hundreds of miles on camel. A camel transportation, uh, you know, is not easy. It would have taken time. A camel will travel about 20 miles in a day. In fact, Ezra does this trip, and it says in Ezra 7-9, he arranged to leave Babylon on April 8th, the first day of the new year, and he arrived in Jerusalem on August 4th, for the gracious hand of God was on him. And so this took time, that they're going forward and and they're traveling this road, and so months are going by. Many Bible scholars believe that this would have taken four or five months that they had gone. But even before that, Herod inquired in verse 16 of Matthew 2. It says he was furious when he realized that the wise men, when they actually see Jesus, an angel visits them and tells him, don't go back to Jerusalem, don't tell Herod anything. So Herod's furious when he realizes that the wise men outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of when the star first appeared. So they had been looking. They're not looking in the right place. They're looking into astrology, you know, astronomy and, uh, and, and all of the witchcraft kind of thing. And yet somehow in that, God is able to get a hold of them. The man who is believed to be one of the first converts that set off what we would call today the Jesus revolution or the Jesus people movement back in 1969 was actually tripping on acid when he had his experience with God. I don't recommend that. Everything I've read, even in high school, I, when uh, kids did it, and when, one kid wanted me to do it, he's like, you should try this. I'm like, no, last time you did it, you spent three hours in the corner believing you were a cockroach or a cricket. That's what it was, a cricket. And he kept making strange noises. I'm like, that doesn't sound fun to me. Just doesn't sound like an enjoyable thing to me. People can be looking in the wrong places, and God can still use it to get their attention. God has the ability. One thing we can learn from the wise men is God has the ability to get their attention. Something can happen. Something can trigger. Now, sometimes these are events in the earth. We saw this in 9-11. When 9-11, I know people who got saved because of 9-11. They went, you know what? This is scary. Uh, we, I gotta get my heart right with God. 
October 7th, just recently, that's probably stirred numbers of people that they're thinking about now. You know, a prophecies and this is happening in the earth and, you know, uh, it could be that. It could be other events. It could be a personal event. One of the marks on my life that absolutely sent me down a road and it was not the right road in, in the beginning was the death of my father. He died in a car accident when I was 15. That that triggered something in me. It's like, you know what? This life is not forever. And at 15 years old, I'm coming to the understanding that, you know what? There are no promises on tomorrow. Literally, and I'm not going for the emotion here, but literally his last words to me were, we'll talk about that when I get home. I'm still waiting. Right? That life changes sometimes. God has a way of getting a hold of people. Even if they're looking in the wrong direction. God was laying hold of their hearts. You can't tell. I, you know, I, I wish Pastor Greg would talk about occasionally. I wish there was an app that would reveal the heart. Wouldn't that be great? We could stand in front of the church, scan people as they're coming in. Is your heart right? Does it, okay. What's going on? Be great on outreach, wouldn't it? Walk around the mall until you, you just kind of get your phone out. Oh, you're open. Let me go talk to you. Let me tell you about Jesus because my app says you're ready. We don't have that. That would make life a little bit easier, but a, a lot scarier, wouldn't it? <laughs> there are some things that you don't want others to know you ever thought. Ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> but these are men that you wouldn't think. We know with their gifts, they're men of resources. Right? Some people won't witness to rich people because they think rich people don't need Jesus. Rich people are all set. That ain't true. They need Jesus just as much as the poor. Now, the poor respond, as Jesus said, the poor respond better. But I've seen some rich people get saved. I've seen people who have it all on the outside together. These were educated men. They were just the opposite of what many people think should be a believer. And yet God was able to use it. They're looking in the wrong way. They've got resources. They're far away. Think of the effort they put into this. To travel for months. I really like the movie. We showed it last year. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, a, it's not biblical. It's got some Bible in it, but it's not biblical. It's just a funny little story around. It's a tradition called the fourth wise man. And what it was is that, you know what, he misses the others who left, and so he's got his gifts for Jesus, and so he doesn't quite find Jesus. I love in the movie, he goes into Bethlehem as they're running out, and you know, and uh, then he goes to Egypt to try to find him, can't find him. It follows the Bible's story, but it's not biblical. There was no fourth wise man. Or if there was, it's not in the Bible. But the point being is that there are people who are looking. 
searching right now. And we need to understand that. That just because they may seem on the outside to have it all together, God was dealing with them for years. Years. There are people you're witnessing to, people you love, people that you think they'll never. And yet God can lay hold of their hearts. God can visit them in a moment of time. What's interesting as well in verse 3, which we didn't read, but it says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard that these wise men were in town, for ev- uh, as was everyone else in Jerusalem. Now, some probably for political reasons. They knew Herod was a psycho. We'll look at him next week. He's a crazy man. Opposed to everything and anything God wants to do. Opposing, literally, wants to kill Christ. But, as this news spread around the city, they didn't want to keep quiet about what they did know and what they were looking for. I read a a very interesting statistic that there are 60% of Americans right now willing to talk about faith to an individual, and yet only a small percentage of Christians will approach a stranger and talk to them about faith. That's why we do outreach. And it's not just to pass out flyers. That is important. The Winslow family on Cape Cod came to church because they got a flyer on their car. When Carrie and I were pioneering in Falmouth, we had a girl come into church and we had had a revival, and, and the revival had passed, but she picked up the flyer off the park. Uh, somebody had thrown it off their car, and it was on the ground with a tire mark right across it. But it said on the flyer, God can heal your marriage. And she said, if God can heal my marriage, I'll kind. She got saved, and I'll never forget, we went out to dinner with them on their anniversary. They invited, and he wasn't saved yet. God can reach people, yes, but to talk to people about your faith. There's co-workers you have, people in your school, your neighbors, people who need, they may look like it's all good. But God can still reach them. What is interesting about these men is that the star got their attention but it led them to the Scriptures. The star got their attention. Astronomers, not the psychos, but the actual good people who study the stars, have gone back, and one lawyer actually in Pennsylvania went back in 20, uh, I think it was 2007, he made a video on this, uh, began to study out where the star is and how... It probably was in uh, a couple of planets that lined up. Possibly also with uh, the uh, what they call the king star, possibly with Jupiter, possibly with either Venus or Saturn worked in there as well. And that however this was, that the star was so bright. My wife and I will be driving to church in the morning at prayer 
And occasionally there'll just be one star in the sky. Just one. The star, you know, the, the, the sun's starting to come up. Well, not anymore, but it was a little while ago. Starting to come up about that time and, and there's just one real bright star. And, and I know from my experience, I actually love the study of, uh, you know, astronomy and things that, you know what, that, that has to be not a star, but a planet. You can still see it even when the sun's beginning to come up. The stars, millions of light years away and all that, they fade away pretty quick. You know, they, the new telescope that they have out there has taken pictures of really dark places and they found, you know what, that's full of galaxies. They're just so far away we can't see them. And you know what, it now makes sense when God said, if you can number the stars of this, you, you, it's innumerable, just like the sand on the seashore. But that's happening. God's able to use that. God can get a hold of people through events and lead them to scriptures. Many believe that they, that they said his star, this is a prophecy in Numbers 24. Verse 17, I see him, but not here, not, and now I perceive him, but a far distance in the future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from uh, from Israel and will crush the heads of the Moabite people, cracking their skulls of the people of Sheth. Now, what the understanding there is that, that this is the prophecy that they took and they said, we see his star. It's in, this again is mentioned in Revelation, I, Jesus, Revelation twenty two sixteen. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to the throne. I am the bright morning star. So he is the star, but also was his star in the sky. And, and if you understand, if it was a number of different planets or celestial bodies lined up. This is why it even seemed to go backwards in the sky as the earth rotation and the planets are moving in their orbit and such. God will use whatever it takes to get people's attention. But they have to go to the Scriptures. If you don't go to the Scriptures, you can have a religious experience, but it won't be lasting. I know people that they got sick, but they never acted on the Scriptures. They never took what God had written and put any effort into it. As we come upon a new year, it is a great time to get a hold of a Bible reading program and read your Bible in a year. It's a great opportunity. I don't know which one. Google it. There's only 1,500 out there. You can read one chapter a day. You don't have to read your whole Bible in a year. You can read it in two years. You can read it in, if you really want, there's ones that will get you through the New Testament in six months and the Old Testament in a year. There's a lot of opportunities you have. But reading the Bible. And then believing it enough to act on it. 
I mentioned this morning as I preached on Rahab. It's very interesting when Rahab says, since the time we heard you came out of Egypt, our hearts have melted. They believed what God had said. The problem was the children of Israel didn't. And they had Moses there for them. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient One and was led uh, led into his presence. He was given authority and honor, sovereignty over the nations in the world so that every people, race, nation, language would obey him. And his rule is eternal and his kingdom will never end. And he will never be destroyed. Many Bible scholars and historians believe that they also had the right of Daniel. Daniel was in Babylon when he wrote his book. He never left Babylon. He never was able to return to the promised land. He died in the government there. So they would have had copies of his writing. So they knew he was going to be the king, the ruler. Mark Twain, his famous quote, It ain't the parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. They needed adjustment. They weren't right. They went to Jerusalem. That's logical. You're going to look for a king. Go to the capital. That's a logical way to do it. But that's not where the king was going to be. They told him when they got there, they're talking to people and they say, no, listen, the prophecy, Malachi 5, 2, but you, O Bethlehem, you're only a small village among the people of Judah, yet you shall be ruler over Israel whose origins are in a distant past will come from you on my behalf. They're able to be adjusted. Paul finds the men at Ephesus. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? We haven't heard. Well, let me explain it to you. Acts 17.11, And the people of Bera were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. They listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the Scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. I, you know, Pastor Mitchell used to encourage people, bring your Bible to church. Know if the preacher is preaching the Bible. Is the scripture what he's saying? It's critical to your salvation. Do you know the scriptures? Because what two things get in the way? Your sin. Don't touch my sin now. Touch their sin. Tell us how bad they are, but don't tell me about my sin. Oh, no, no, no. Don't you do that. And emotions. Just make us feel good. Sorry, my name is not Joel Osteen. 
there's no hell. Everybody's good. You're just going to heaven no matter what you do. It's going to be good. That's not what the scriptures say. Another thing you need to know, one man wrote about these Magi. They were completely top to bottom pagan. Pagan to the bone. He says they believed in the stars, the future fate, but they did have the sense enough to say, there's something more out there, let's go look. That God was able to use his word to lay hold of their hearts. They came to worship. A couple of things here that we have to understand about worship. It literally, the word to worship, in verse 2, it says, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star arose. We have come to worship him. The term worship literally is the sense of kissing one's hand. It has to do with the thought of genuflecting or even laying prostate. It has to do with respect, reverence, and submission. People think if they just praise God, they're worshiping Him. No. Praise is part of worship. But worship is more than praise. Has to do with submission. One man wrote, it says, in the New Testament, it was kneeling or prostrating to do, uh, to do honor and to make obedience and respect and also to make a request. Submitting to God. They said, you know what? We're here to submit. We're here to worship God. Praise is part of that. Lifting our voices. Psalms 22 verse 25. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vow in the presence of those who worship you. Praise is an aspect of worship. But in many modern minds, praise and worship are interchangeable and they're not. Because praise is praise. Worship is submission. They had come to submit themselves. It's after that God tells them, you know what? Don't go back to heritage. We don't go back to Herod. We're going, we're going to do what God said to do. We know that giving is part of submission. We don't know how many, I mentioned again, how many wise men there were, but they brought three gifts. Verse 11, they entered the house, they saw the child with his mother. Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened up their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I mentioned, preached on, probably will sometime again in the far future, about that these three gifts, the king, 
the priest and his death, that they understood at least that much about who Jesus was. But the genuine part of worship is giving. This is why when people don't pay their tithe, there's something wrong with their heart. And they can lift their hands and they can tell you how much they love Jesus. But if they're not submitting there, if they're not giving, they're not worshiping. It's part of God's plan. In that, if you're open to God, if you'd allow God to move on your heart, I can promise you, He can get you to where Jesus is. He can get you to an experience with God. Another man wrote, An active faith such as these wise men will always place God and the church first, foremost in your life. These wise men never lost sight of what they were seeking. They were informed that the Messiah would be born in Jerusalem. They trusted the, and obeyed the divine inspiration that they had received. Jesus told the woman at the well, the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is a spirit And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God can lay hold of people's hearts, but it is linked to his word. The submission to his word. Pastor Bruce McIver, McIver, was in a hospital bed. He was going to have open-heart surgery. His doctor was Dudley Johnson. And he asked, he asked Dr. Johnson, he said, can you fix my heart? And the physician was known for his, his curtness, his shortness. He said, sure. Then he turned away and he walked out. Following the 12-hour surgery, McIver asked Johnson, he said, in light of the blocked arteries that I had when I checked into the hospital, do I have much more blood supply now? The doctor's response says, you have all you'll ever need. And with that, he walked out of the conversation again. Upon his discharge, McIver's, uh, McIver's wife, Lauren, said, what about my husband's future quality of life? And the doctor thought for a moment and then said, I fixed his heart. The rest is up to him. Jesus fixes hearts, but he does leave some of it up to you. Think about this. These men were willing to travel. They were willing to sacrifice. And they came to worship based on the word of God. Can we be like these wise men? Can God show you his word and say what you need to do? It's going to involve praise. I can tell you, if there's no praise and no giving, 
then there probably ain't worship. There's no probably about it. It isn't there. They came to praise him. They came to give. That's what we do. We honor God. When you do that, God will help you. He can fix your heart. The rest is going to be up to you. To a degree. But you make the decisions. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. These wise men are a great lesson. God can lay hold of people's hearts. He can even use the strangest things to do it. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not right with God. He can use personal events. Sometimes good, sometimes just get you alone. Deal with your heart. Sometimes it's going to be events such as some of the craziness that we see going on in the world right now. Sometimes it's going to be personal frustrations, emptiness because of sin, whatever it is. These men saw a star. That star was for all to see. But it really is apparent that no one else really got it. No one else really saw it. No one else was really paying attention enough. But God used it. No one else in all of the Word of God recognizes this star. But God used that to get these people's attention. Did He do it just for them? I have no idea. I wouldn't put it past Him, though. He'll use events just to get a hold of your heart. And maybe you're here and you're going through things, whatever it might be, and you need Jesus Christ to forgive you, heal you, help you. He's here. He's willing to do that. If you're simply be honest and say, you know what? I need Jesus Christ to forgive me. If that's you, I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, that's me. Would you pray for me? I'm not right with God. Changing the call then, maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you didn't base your life on the scriptures. It's all about emotions. Maybe you even got upset. If I hit your sin or another preacher hits your sin, don't, don't, don't meddle. But God is now putting his finger on your heart and saying, you know what? Through you're going through motions, but you're not worshiping. God, I'm seeking those who will worship me. You need to get your heart right with God. Very quickly, slip up your hand. Pray for me. Well, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I do also want to put out the challenge. You claim to be a Christian. You love God. But you're not paying your tithe. You're not giving. Well, I'm saved. Are you? Because worship has to do with submission. And finances are a mighty test. Because giving a gift to God, not just a one-time gift, but 
obeying what His Word says is mighty towards your future, towards God's ability to speak to you. What's interesting is they're following the star, they're following after all that they're trying to get to, but it's after they give their gifts that the angel speaks to them in a dream. It's after they give that God is able to now help them in a greater way. There's something missing in your salvation and it has to do with the issue of the tithe. You need to get your heart right. Let God help you tonight. And if God is dealing with you and you're not paying your tithe and you need to be paying your tithe, you'd say, you know what? I do need to do this, Pastor. I'm going to get my heart. I wonder, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. You just slip up your hand very quickly. Say, I need to get my heart right concerning this issue. And I'm going to make that a commitment. Thank God. Thank God. Let's all stand. We're going to open up these altars. Allow people to find a place to pray this evening. Worshiping His name. Giving Him praise. I fix my eyes on you.
Hallelujah.